Hi, my name is Monica Kretschmer, and I'm the founder and CEO of the Universal Women's Network, Women of Inspiration Awards, and this is the Woman of Inspiration podcast, where we speak with leaders who lead, inspire, and motivate. These are leaders who take the road less traveled and inspire others to dream big. Now, today I have a very special guest. Um, she is one of our 100 Women of Inspiration, Women Driving Change book contributors. Uh, I'd like to welcome Debbie Rajani Viegas. Did I yes. say it right? Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I, I. Anyways, Debbie, it's a pleasure to have you. You're uh, on the podcast today with us. You're the Senior Managing Director for FDI Consulting. Um, you have an amazing story. I'm so looking forward to um, having you share your career path and your journey um, with our listeners today because I really truly believe that it's important to drive change and have female leaders at the forefront. Coming out of the pandemic now more than ever, we need to raise the bar and have our female leaders leading the charge because others, if they can see it, they can be it. So Debbie, um, before we get into that, do you remember what you wanted to do when you were 12? I do. <laughs> so I still love animals. Um, and when I was a young child, I also loved animals. So I wanted to be a vet. Um, but unfortunately, when I got into high school, I realized that biology was not exactly my strong suit um, and that I was more of a math, you know, numbers, chemistry was okay because that was based a lot of numbers and logic, but biology, you have to memorize everything and just know. So I kind of quickly realized that maybe, you know, being a vet was not going to be the area that I was best suited for. And so I sort of switched paths to just business and numbers, but obviously that evolved as to what I eventually did. Wonderful. And so I find it so interesting because when I ask women, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, you know, it's never like a straight path. Like there's the dream and the ambition, but it's really important for young women to see women doing all sorts of roles so they can, you know, know what options are available for them. So now tell me about your career path. How did you arrive at FTI? Um, you know, and you said numbers and you've got quite a journey. So maybe you can, where would you like to start? Sure. Well, I mean, I'll start back. So after I graduated high school, I decided to go and pursue a business degree. You know, I just knew that I liked numbers. I liked logic. Like I had that common sense. So business was likely the most um, area that suited me. I had no idea what to do within business, but obviously the marketing and those sort of sides, I wasn't as interested as, you know, accounting or finance. Um, and then it turned in my third year of university that I was looking at sort of options um, and I was interviewing for summer positions and you know I applied to a bunch of sort of investment banking finance type roles I remember during the interviews that you know one of the people said to me oh like and sort of proudly like oh I haven't been home for dinner to my family in a year and I was just kind of like looking at them like that's something to be proud of um and so I sort of reassessed I was like I don't know if I want to go into that culture and that um you know that environment really right at that 
point in my life. And so I'd been talking to one of my neighbors who was sort of like a pseudo grandfather for me as, you know, my grandparents actually did not live with us in Canada. And he had always said to me, like, you know, a chartered accountant, a CA, an auditor is like the, still the kind of the classiest profession there is. You know, you should be an accountant. So at the end of third year, I just switched all my fourth year courses to accounting. So then I applied to the, you know, one of the big four accounting firms, got a job at one of the big four, um, did my CA, my chartered accountant, now it's called CPA. I was an auditor for two and a half years. And while I was at that accounting firm, I happened to be looking for a job posting for one of my friends um, and he didn't have his CA. So I had to look sort of outside of audit, right? You know, the accounting firm's head of advisory, different sort of segments where they offer services to clients. And in that search, I saw a job posting for Latin American restructuring. Now I had no idea what that meant. Uh, but when reading the job post, it said, you know, you have to have common sense, good at numbers and speak Spanish. And so I was born in Venezuela. And so, you know, I spoke Spanish fluently. I'd done it, you know, in high school and university to make sure that I knew how to write a lot better and just to keep it up because oftentimes if you're not immersed in the language, then you quickly lose it. Right. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, like that's, to it's like, it fits me to a T. And anyways, that was like 15 years ago. And here we are 15 years later, I'm still doing the same thing in Latin America, working on restructurings, big corporate restructuring. So I did switch firms um, in 2008 to go to FTI Consulting, um, but I've been with the same boss um, since 2007 when I started in this career path. Wow. So tell me about, you know, we skipped over the past path that, you know, you came to Canada. So you were born in Venezuela. So maybe talk to us about you know, what you remember growing up, about the differences and, you know, about growing up um, as an immigrant to Canada. Sure. So yeah, I was uh, born in Venezuela, in Caracas, Venezuela. My sister was as well. She's five years younger than me. And my parents actually, ironically, my mom is from Venezuela. Um, my dad was actually born in Malawi. Um, he's from East Indian parents, however. So, you know, I look more East Indian and my name is mostly East Indian, Devi Rajani is the East Indian part, whereas Villegas is the Spanish side, the Venezuelan side sort of thrown in. Um, they actually met in uh, Montreal, McGill. My parents both ended up going to McGill through their different paths, met there. My mom decided to go back to Venezuela. That's where her family and everybody was. And so my dad followed her and then they settled there, had my sister and I. Um, and, you know, this was in the 80s. So during that time venezuela was not at the crisis point it is today but at that time my dad already felt that maybe growing up in venezuela with his two daughters was not the best future for us so he started applying to the u.s and in canada to try to uh, for us to immigrate and the reason we chose canada is because that's where the first visa came from um you know the u.s one came actually 10 years later once we were already canadian citizens um, so we ended up moving to Edmonton, Alberta. It's like I've got to see snow for the first time. So I went from Caracas, Venezuela, which is like, you know, 20 to 30 degrees Celsius to like Edmonton, which is pretty cold. Um, and uh, yeah, we settled there. I mean, the transition to English was easier for my sister and I only because since my dad was not really Venezuelan, even though he learned the language, he always, always spoke to us in English. So growing up, we understood English. We just never spoke it because obviously our all family and friends in school were in uh, Spanish. But then coming to Canada, that really kind of gave, gave us a leg up and we were able to pick it up quickly. As most children do though, right? Children and languages are just 
like osmosis. So yeah, we moved to Edmonton um, and that's how we landed in Canada. You know, I don't remember much about Venezuela, but I do remember all my family because I would go see my grandparents very often. So one of the challenges was that once we were in Canada, you know, we only saw my grandparents like once a year. Whereas I used to go there like a few times a month. Even my parents would go on vacation and leave me with my grandparents. So like, right, there was a close sort of family connection. And when you move to Canada, we had no family there. You sort of lose that, right? Like you don't have the grandparents, the aunts and the uncles and everybody there with you to support you like we had when we lived in Venezuela. So that was definitely a challenge, right? From the familial support. And then for my parents, it was a challenge, right? As immigrants coming to Canada, having to almost reestablish themselves. My mom used to be a university professor in Venezuela and she came and she couldn't even teach at a school because she had no, she didn't have the teacher's diploma. Um, she eventually obviously got her footing and whatnot. And my dad did his PhD in civil engineering and then ended up getting a job in Ottawa. So we moved to Ottawa three years later after we settled in the, and we arrived to Canada and my family still lives in Ottawa. So we've been settled there ever since. Beautiful. Well, I just, you know, I always find it really interesting, the background, because it's never a straight road, how you arrive at the destination that you're on, um, or what really brings you purpose or drives you. And so, you know, if we look at, you know, purpose and drive, and so what really drives you to be the leader that you are today? I mean, you, did you picture yourself as a leader coming out of um, university? Like, did you were you groomed did you have your eyes set on this great big role and this power this i'm, I'm going to say a, a role of influence not power because i think leadership true leadership is more about influence and authenticity than power um so maybe you can chat a little bit about that because we do have younger listeners that are listening going you know how did she do that how did she navigate that role so I can tell you definitely I never saw myself in a leadership position, you know, growing up, you know, I changed schools a lot. Obviously, we moved countries, we moved within provinces. And, you know, I also moved a lot of schools even once we settled in Ottawa. Um, and I was always sort of, you know, I was never with the popular kids, right? I, you know, I fit in, but like I was, I was never with a popular crowd, always, you know, in and everything. I was more kind of with the studious crowd, I guess you could say. And even through university, right, there was a clear distinction of where I sort of was within my peers um, and I was never in that leadership position right because the more popular kids generally are the ones that are the leaders in that sense um, a lot of it you know the drive I guess it, it comes it sort of evolved and it comes I think inherently just from how I was raised um, and I think part of it is just my personality as well that I'm pretty assertive I like to you know to tell the truth not like but to me that's also being vulnerable because I'm not afraid to tell you if I'm you know I go to a therapist or I'm on anxiety medication right like I'm not afraid to tell that to people so that they know that not everybody's perfect and it's not just a facade that it's like I have everything under control right and I think that's important to be honest with people so I've always been honest I guess I've always had a drive you know just internally to try to do better um, and I can't speak as to how my parents did that or instilled that you know my sister is a doctor so we are sort of high achieving daughters um, and I think that's maybe part of the culture too growing up and also maybe being an immigrant right feeling like you have to work that extra mile to prove yourself um, because people you know may think that oh you're just like mooching off the system or you just came here and you know you're not contributing to society right um, 
not that I paid attention really to that, but you know, I guess my focus is just my parents were very hardworking and had good work ethic, and that was instilled in us. Um, and to the position where I am today, you know, it was interesting. I got promoted to senior managing director in 2020. Um, right as COVID started almost. And I didn't actually want that promotion. I, you know, we talked about it in the years past with my boss and it was kind of like, no, I'm good at the le level below, right? I don't want that leadership. I just, I'll do my work. Like I, I crave stability. <laughs> so sometimes I don't really enjoy change. Um, and, you know, my boss and his boss were like, no, Debbie, like you have the potential in you. We want to put you up for promotion. Um, and so, I mean, we, we went through, I said, well, I guess what's the worst that's going to happen, right? Like, I mean, go for it. They're supporting me. They believe in me more than I do. Mm -hmm. And these are two males in the organization that are quite high up. And so anyways, I ended up getting promoted, obviously, with their support. But I think that helped sort of then instill more of the, the leadership and that, oh, I can have influence. I can make a difference. I can make change. So I would say, and I know I'm still going to evolve, but I think in the last two years is probably where I've grown the most, right? Having that support and then coming into the realization that you are good enough and you can do things. So let me ask you, was that, um, that mentorship or sponsorship, was that a formalized program that you had with these two um, colleagues? So no, I mean, the my, my direct boss, we've just, we, we worked together for so almost 15 years. So we just naturally obviously got along and, you know, he, I think he also takes care of his people very well. He has a very loyal uh, group. A lot of the people that in our group have been with him 20 plus years. Um, so in that, right, he's brought people forward and always wants to make sure that there's somebody is achieving and succeeding, not just him. So I think he has that culture on its on his own. And I think even his boss, I mean, I, I talk with him, I'm not as in direct contact. Um, but, you know, I, I also, I guess part of it is that I'm social. Um, and so I've always like network. I did things in the firm that were related to non-billable activities, right? To promote stuff with women or to, I always ended up volunteering to teach people when we did uh, leadership training or even like Excel modeling or sort of technical training, right? I was always willing to help out. And I think that hard work ends up getting noticed right even without you having necessarily to say anything you should still though say things and promote yourself that's something that i've learned that you need to sometimes broadcast your activities and your achievements and what you're doing to help um, but it, people do notice as well right and so i think people noticed and it was noticed throughout the firm so such that i had that support but there was like no formal i mean we have coaches in fti so you do get assigned a formal coach um but you know like my boss's boss isn't my coach yet he was still my sponsor right and so that's just through relationships talking sort of proving yourself doing the, the hard work um and showing them that you're ready even if you don't think you're ready so let me ask you, I think that is probably one of the biggest barriers is that um, number one, women don't ask for those opportunities, whatever the reasoning behind, whether it's confidence or wanting to stay in your stable environment or imposter syndrome, you know? So what words of advice would you give for women? Let's just talk about imposter syndrome. You know, um, what, what do you just experience at once or do you have you is it continuous um you know how has imposter syndrome impacted you yeah i would say it's continuous it's always relative right once you get over one thing then it's something else and so 
Um, I think generally in the last few years, I've definitely noticed the imposter syndrome. As you start moving up and you get into bigger meetings or into situations where there's more people that are you think are smarter than you, and they might be as well, right? Um, and also being in a consulting firm, I really think those are generally very bright people, professional people, very driven people, right? So you're constantly surrounded by a lot of people that are very smart um, and hardworking. And then you see that and you try to compare yourself to that. Um, so I think it's continuous. Uh, once you get over it once, one issue, then you see something else because you see somebody else doing something. You're like, oh, should I be there? And should I match up? Or why don't I know that? Um, but I think it comes back to, you know, having the confidence in yourself and that A, it's okay if you don't know something. B, sometimes people who talk and sound like they know what they're talking about actually don't because sometimes you know if you're actually confident enough to sort of ask a question and say hey i'm sorry i don't quite understand can you explain it to me you'll often find that they can't explain it to you which means they don't understand it themselves right so a lot of it for some people tend to bs <laughs> a bit and that can then get intimidating if you don't realize that they're just winging it right and don't actually know what they're speaking about so take some takes things sometimes with a grain of salt and not, don't be too hard on yourself because in the end if you're really hard on yourself that's not going to do you any good right if you have stuff to learn which we all do just beating yourself up you're not going to learn it you just go okay look i really am interested in that i heard about that i want to explore it more right so that the next time you feel more prepared or able to answer that or not feel or feel like you're not surrounded by people that are you know here and you're just still down here trying to understand what's going on well i think the authenticity is probably one of the biggest pieces you know um as we come out of the pandemic I mean, there's opportunities for women in so many industries that are just, you know, the ones that are even getting underrepresented are now, you know, run, ladies run. <laughs> there's big yeah. opportunities. Um, but I want to go back to some of your volunteer roles. And you made some really interesting points that I think is worth discussing, um, you know, how we can really raise the bar for women in female leadership roles is to get involved, to volunteer um you know to actually be okay with that self-promotion which you build your thought leadership like you said i'm an expert in this industry so own the spotlight and share your knowledge um and so maybe you can share a little bit about the fti consulting women's initiative and your role there and how that helps support women within your organization Sure. So the Women's Initiative, we call it WIN at FTI, um, started many, many years ago. And again, it was actually a grassroots. It started in some small office in one of our segments. And this goes to show that you can start something and you never know how it's going to evolve. It's usually a lot of these initiatives or programs don't start from the top. It's not like some CEO sits there, okay, we need like a diversity and inclusion and belonging, or we need a women's group, right? It often starts, right? with the people that actually feel like they need it, right? They develop a program, you develop an initiative, and then it keeps going higher up and then it keeps spreading across the organization. So that's an important reminder to people that you can start anything, an initiative that you want and you think is needed. Um, so again, you know, the FTI WIN program started years ago by one of our segments and it eventually has gone worldwide. And so I think in 
it's hard to remember now, especially with COVID, all the years sort of combined. But let's say 2015, 2016, I started getting involved in the Canadian One Initiative, and that was the first time we brought it to Canada. Um, and so I was the co-leader for until 2021, actually, uh, with another female SMD. And we led the initiative by doing uh, things internally. So a giving uh, practice to some of our young women in order of speaking skills, right? That we'd get together in a group. Okay, you need to practice like a three minute elevator speech or you need to present something at a meeting, practice it on us and we'll give you feedback. It's a safe space, like no judgment, right? Because a lot of the time you just need the practice. That's the only way you learn. Nobody's ever perfect from the outset. Um, so we did initiatives like that so that we'd help each other internally, right? And pass on advice, not only from the higher ups to the lower levels, but also the other way around, right? Because I think we can all collaborate and learn so much from each other. Um, we also did external events where we joined with other female lawyers or other female bankers. And, you know, we had some speaker guests that tell us about their life story, right? To see what, in what inspired them, what can we learn from them? We had like an Ontario Superior Court judge speak to us once about her career path and the obstacles she faced and whatnot. We've also had, um, in last year, we also did a panel with some uh, bankers uh, from Canada and the U.S. So it was a joint panel between the U.S. and Canada. Um, again, learning about their experiences and what challenges and what their careers have uh, been meant to them. Um, and so I did in, you know, one of the other things you have to learn as a woman that we want to take everything on, but you can't. So sometimes you do need to learn to say no. So I, um, one of another woman had joined the team. And so you know, I conceded my role as in the FTI one and said, like, I can't handle this. And I have a little kitty. <laughs> Sorry, coming to say hello. This is Peanut. <laughs> oh, Peanut? Peanut. Nice to see Peanut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's ensuring that we're keeping this woman only. Um, um, and so, sorry, let me put her down. She is not cooperating. Um, and so, you know, somebody else has taken over. I'm still involved and still participate. Um, but I then, you know, was focusing more on my diversity and inclusion because I was also leading that for Canada at FTI. And I'm also part of a global steering committee for diversity and inclusion that, again, was also started by a segment a few years back ago, right? And it just evolved and it grew and it's now something we do worldwide across the organization. Um, but even this year, I've actually given up the role in Canada for diversity and inclusion to bring different uh, faces, new ideas, and also I haven't been able to put the time and dedication into it as I would like to and as it deserves, right? So it's one of those things I had to be honest with myself, like how much can you take on and you can only do so much. Um, but it's still, I'm committed to, you know, to speaking with people like I messaged some of the um, my female colleagues because it's around this year that we have promotion time and so hey how's it going everything okay you know checking in and some having some coffees next week went into the office for the first time and i think actually this year i know <laughs> right and so just even doing the little things like you know that's what i'm going to focus on helping and supporting as i can but let other people take the leadership and ownership over initiatives and programs Beautiful. Well, so many nuggets of wisdom there, Debbie. Thank you so much for sharing. I think, you know, these conversations that we're having um, are so value added for anybody listening that just one thing, if they can just take one thing away that would help them, um, you know, succeed, that's kind of golden, but you've given way more than one thing. <laughs> uh, so 
I want to talk about support networks. Now, you know, um, I think you mentioned that you had a very influential um, person in your life um, that had sort of said, you know, I think you maybe need to go this way, you know, and sort of help guide you. So let's talk about the role of our male allies and support hers. Why is it so critical that we are inviting men to the conversation? Yeah, I think it's so critical because literally men are at the top right? <laughs> they're the majority. That's what we're trying to sort of equalize. And so if they're not part of the conversation or in helping us women, you know, rise to our full potential, then they're never going to see the issues that we're facing and help address fix them, right? Because we can talk to ourselves about how great we are and what we need to do. But unless a male that actually has the influence, right, not the power, as you said, can help navigate that because we need some men to actually help break the barriers and speak out against you know whatever patriarchy or whatnot and get things done right so the men i think are very important because then other men see it and then it just helps like the momentum right it builds it and you hopefully only go in a positive direction i mean nothing's ever going to be linear there's always going to be ups and downs but that's hopefully the impact and i think it's not only professionally at least for me personally i can say that my partner in life, my husband, um, he supports me in a way that, you know, I'm the breadwinner of our household. And so he does sort of everything around the house. So our relationship is not the traditional, you know, that like, I don't cook, I don't wash dishes, I don't do my laundry. <laughs> I'm very spoiled, right? But that has helped me then lean into my work and be successful at work, right? I don't have the extra pressures of those things because he's able to handle it and manage the household such that I can then focus on my career, which I want to, right? And so, and help me get ahead. So I think having the support, not only professionally, but also personally is a big help. And of course my parents and, you know, all my family and friends have been supportive as well of my focus. Cause I do work a lot, right? It's not unfortunately like, you know, a nine to five job, but you know, I'm kicking around it's often weekends, late nights or whatnot. And so you need understanding um, people in your life, right? To under, to, help you get through it because it's not always easy but also be there for you and support you beautiful and so i like to also find out you know what sort of females you had in your growing up or on your career path um you know did you have female mentors or women that inspired you that you looked up to um along your journey i would say i have two now um you know obviously my mom growing up she's you know she moved to McGill, to Montreal to study in McGill, only speaking Spanish. And when she returned, she spoke four languages. So she added Italian, French, and English. So, you know, obviously she's, yeah, you know. Multilingual. Uh, yeah, I'm a little overachiever there. Um, so obviously she's also always been an inspiration, but honestly, professionally, I hadn't really seen a lot, at least when I went through my careers. I can't, nobody actually really stands out to me. But I would say in the last few years, um, I've gotten to know um, a lady at RBC, which has become one of my friends and mentors. And so I really look up to her and sometimes, you know, we'll just chat over coffee and I'll be like, oh, I'm stressed about this or whatnot. And she'd be like, Devi, it's okay. Like, calm down. She's like, you know, and she would, she tells me stories, right? And so she gives me that sort of support and being like, you're very smart. You'll be fine, right? I've worked with her professionally. So she knows my capabilities and that's reassuring to hear, right? From, you know, a client, right? So it's, 
she doesn't have to tell me nice things if she doesn't want to, right? Um, like the, 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 the leverage there's a little distinct. Um, and so she's been a great mentor and friend. And so always trying to keep it, okay, what would, you know, so-and-so do and just like breathe and it's going to be okay. Um, and the other person that has really impacted me recently is uh, my yoga teacher. Um, so I moved from, um, down, not downtown Toronto, but Toronto proper to sort of suburbia. <laughs> and when I did that, I, you know, I, I do like to work out a lot part of my mental and uh, emotional balance um, and part of what I like to do is yoga so I had to find a new yoga studio and the one that I've been drawn to you know the owner there she is just so authentic so vulnerable like I don't know it's just like an experience and it's just hearing her speak and being honest with you know the things are great or bad or in between right it just kind of gives you I think it also let me be like okay you know what you can also be open with other people and not be afraid of what people think like she doesn't care what you think about her right but she's very nice like and always such gratitude that she has for people and always her generosity she's always willing to offer this do that and whatnot so to me that's also been a role model uh, in my life like where can I be generous more helpful more honest more authentic with myself and I hope she has the opportunity to listen to this podcast. I hope so too. She has she, the book. <laughs> then you're going to pump up those tires and she'll know what an impact. Because I honestly do believe that women are so busy working on their careers, building their businesses, looking after their families. Their head is down and they're focused on that. They don't have any idea of the ripple effect that they're creating by just being in your their zone and their genius, right? So yeah. um, I think that's really important is to tell the women that, you know, the impact that they make, it yeah. makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Agreed. So, and I actually, with both of them, I gave them a copy of the book and, you know, shared with them that they are in the book that they inspired me because they had no idea. So yeah, but I agree, it's important to tell them. Fantastic news. I love to hear that. Um, so now you kind of segued a little bit into that with your yoga, but I think it's really interesting for other women to know, like, what's your routine? Like what kind of, what's your non-negotiable self-care item, you know, that you can really say that has elevated your success? So I definitely think, um, exercise I first started doing yoga in 2015 after my sister took me to a class because she'd really gone into the yoga and you know was doing it a lot at that time I went to a class you know at Christmas with her I was like oh okay I didn't really know what was going on but whatever I need to start moving my body because prior to that I didn't exercise at all um, and I ended up you know going to my first class by myself I remember I sat in the car and I didn't want to go in because I was too scared and I finally worked up the courage just okay how bad can it be right like again what's the worst that could happen so I went it was only me and another gentleman um, and the yoga teacher which to me was even worse because I'd rather be like in a room full of people and just kind of hide at the back right but I was front and center and the teacher was like oh you've really never done yoga and I'm like no not really anyways but that started my love affair with yoga um and so I've been doing that ever since, you know, it's again, gone its up and downs because I've also then incorporated like sort of HIIT training um, and sort of more the gym-like, you know, exercises into my life because I, I do like intensity. Like, you know, to me, yoga is not about like sitting there and, you know, meditating and being relaxed. Like I like the power yoga, like the vinyasa yoga, like I want to sweat. I want to be rinsed out because to me, 
you know, physical movement, like it doesn't come as naturally to me. And so what I loved about yoga is that I had to actually focus and pay attention on what I was doing. So it helped me like forget about the other thoughts running through my head. Right. So sometimes like, for example, spin, I still think a lot because like, you're just kind of spinning your legs, right? Like it doesn't help me sort of get out of the, my stress or anxiety or my worries. Whereas yoga, you can't think about what, what's going on in your life because you'll fall over or you like won't do the pose, right? You literally have to concentrate. This like goes here and this like this happens there. So I think that's why I was so drawn to yoga that it really truly allowed me to escape. So yoga is definitely a non-negotiable. Like I have my um, Tuesday night classes and Sunday night classes was my one of my my yoga teacher, my inspiration. That those are the ones that she teaches and like you know even. When I'm busy at work, I like will take the time, go to the studio, get in a class, come back, and then if I have to work later, I continue working after the class. But it's like I barely miss that class because it's like right the energy and the spirit that she provides, and then just like the yoga is is important to me. Um, so I think exercise is my biggest non-negotiable. <laughs> Other than that, I also love to read. So I usually I read a book, you know, as I go to bed every night. Like I can't just go to bed. I need to like read and you know look at something and it can't it's not scrolling on social media either it's literally a book I do use an iPad but because um, I find now the books are just too heavy <laughs> and it also creates a lot because I can read a book in a week so it's just I'm starting to get through a lot of them um, so I think reading and, and yoga are sort of my non-negotiables and what about do you have a like a morning routine because you know a lot of top leaders you know say they have a like a really rigid routine every day. Um, do you have one in place? And no, so I know a lot of, you know, they, you read all these books about like most successful people get up early and do this. So I, I don't exercise in the morning. That's, <laughs> I'm not a morning person. <laughs> um, like my, I'm not, a, but I'm not a night owl either. Like my ideal hours are like 10 to four. That's like when I'm best <laughs> at my best. I like going to bed early and I like getting up late. It's very strange of me. Um, but I mean, generally my morning routine during COVID has been, you know, get up, just get ready and go to work. Um, during a certain time that I was really, really busy and that work went until like 10 or 11, I wasn't able to work out. So I had to incorporate it in the morning. So, at, you know, I, there was a period of about four or five months that I would wake up every day at 6.30 or quarter to seven, do my workout and then start at 8 a.m. And so again, that became a non-negotiable because I needed to do some sort of form of exercise to like just have the release. Um, and I wasn't be able to fit it in. Um, and during the day so now you know I had to do it in the morning but in 2021 and I would say so far in 2022 I've been trying to do these noon classes that I have with you know a personal trainer that she does group fitness classes and so at noon on my calendar it's blocked so I I try to do it like at least two or three times a week and if I can I just do the recording but I've sort of made that like my team knows at noon Debbie's gone for like 45 minutes right and even a sort of you know my client I think they've realized that at noon she kind of goes somewhere <laughs> right to do stuff so if I have to work earlier or later I will do that but I need to sort of try to carve out that time um, and in this year I've also made it a goal to try to walk more because I think in COVID I've you know it's easy to just kind of roll out of bed and go to work and then just watch TV and right not get out um, and so last year I found during the last half of the year I just I wouldn't go outside like it'd be like a week and I wouldn't have left my house which is kind of pretty sad and depressing especially when everything shut down right so I had nowhere to go but even just I've been trying to make an effort that every day even I just go outside for a little bit just to breathe some fresh air beautiful I think we've all been there we've all been in lockdown we kind of know what that means now and it was getting pretty normal right to just not leave but walks are definitely important um 
My next question for you, Debbie, is, you know, we all come up to times when things are flowing super, super great. And then all of a sudden we hit like a roadblock. How do you get over those roadblocks and stay motivated? So I think the biggest thing is, at least when I hit a roadblock, I, you know, get very anxious and sort of get very um, amped up, right? Like I get excited. Like I want to fix, like I just, I guess I'm sort of distressed to say, right? So for me, what I have to learn is to breathe, <laughs> okay? Nothing's unsolvable, right? Breathe and take a step back because often sometimes you get so much in the weeds of things that you don't take a step back and think of what, what the bigger picture is. And I often find like solutions are often so simple, but it's just, we try to think that things are like so complicated and it has to be a hard answer. It needs to be hard to be able to fix or solve, but it's actually like, it's taking that time to breathe, to step back. You're like, oh, well, it's so obvious, right? Like you often see like people who have inventions or whatnot that are successful. You're like, well, that was pretty obvious. Like that wasn't some rocket science idea, right? It was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So often in life, that's how I try to ta tackle the obstacles, right? Just taking a step back. Also talking, right? Sometimes I find even just talking it out, whether it's to a friend, a colleague, my boss, I get then ideas from just talking it out. Uh, you know, even just telling them, uh, telling them about my problem and all of a sudden I just talk myself. I'm like, oh, I understand what the issue is or what, you know, how to solve it or whatnot. So, I mean, that's how I, I deal with roadblocks or obstacles. And in terms of stay, staying motivated, it's, I don't know, it's just a positivity in you. Like, if you're not going to be happy in life, then like, what's the point, right? So you just got to try again. You know, if it doesn't work, doesn't succeed, try something else. And you just got to know that you're trying your best, so that you're happy with yourself right? Because in the end, you only have to answer to you. Absolutely. And what I know that we talked last time um, when we had a quick chat about those pictures on the wall, you're, you travel a ton. So we, you know, we talk about motivating, what keeps you motivated. We talk about your career path journey, but rarely do we ask you what you're passionate about. So I'd love to know what you're passionate about. Traveling. Oh my gosh. Like I, could have, I, you know, the career I want now sometimes is a travel agent, <laughs> or I think I want, because um, I love traveling and I love planning trips. Um, so the pictures behind me, my husband took, um, are from South Africa, from a safari that we took. And, you know, as part of my career at FTI of Latin America and the structuring, my clients are actually in Latin America. So prior to COVID, I would actually travel, you know, 80% of my year, I would be you know, in Mexico and Chile, Brazil, or sometimes Barbados, like I've been all over like sort of Latin America and South America where I would uh, travel for work. And so I, you know, for work, it's a little different, but I still do enjoy the travel. There's something that since I was young, my parents always took us on trips, um, you know, grew, growing up as an immigrant family, like we didn't have cable TV. My parents only had one uh, car growing up. They still only have one car yet like where they put value was on travel right so we went to india to see my family we'd go to venezuela or we'd go to like disney world or whatever we'd always travel as a family so i think i got that from them um and now you know having traveled so much i you know i got points and i was able to use them and so i've gone to a lot of different places um and i love giving advice so when people are like oh where do you where like where's your honeymoon i'm like okay I'll, like these are the options you can go here and here and there because i love like the research i love like figuring it out and planning it all so i'm planning to go to South Africa in May, cross our fingers, I know, for another safari. So <laughs> this week I started looking at restaurants and like, okay, where are we going to go to eat? Because I just, I love that. I'm very type A, like, you know, I'm going to have a little calendar of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And, um, but that's what excites me more when I'm on the trip. I'm like, okay, whatever. But the actual planning is what 
inspires me. And you always get what you want when you do the planning. Exactly. If you leave it up to somebody else, you don't know what you get. And that and I find that I just won't do anything. <laughs> if I don't plan, we'll just sit at the hotel and go, yeah, I don't know. Right? Sometimes, like, I remember we were once in Hawaii and uh, I booked us to go um, snorkeling in the evening to see manta rays. Um, and I remember at the end of that day, I was so tired, I didn't want to go, but because I'd booked and paid for it, right? Like, I was like, well, we're going to have to go. And I'm so glad we did because without having it planned and booked it, I would have just been like, yeah, it's too much work. Like, yeah, whatever. Um, but look, looking back and it was an amazing experience and I'm so happy we did it. So I know that about myself. So that's why I need to do the planning because otherwise I'll just, you know, be content with doing nothing. So, <laughs> which is okay too, but it's just, it depends on where you're going. Well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure um, chatting with you today. And once again, congratulations on being the contributor do you know what page you're in offhand no. debbie <laughs> sorry let me see you don't have that memorized by now no i should have okay so for those listeners i'm flipping through a page in the book right now going to debbie's page and you're on page 61 61 okay 61 fabulous picture beautiful yeah. feature and so it's really beautiful having the opportunity to put um, a voice behind the print and have our listeners learn a little bit more about you. And of course they can get the hard copy version. We'll send the link, but super exciting to have your leadership voice represented because it is so important. You bring so much to the table that um, I'm sure the listeners are writing notes and it just hearing someone else go through it makes it so much easier for you to go through it. So I always said that you discover your voice within the voices of our contributors. And um, it's been an absolute joy to have you part of the um, project uh, and the podcast. But I'm not going to let you go yet without, you know, asking you my final question, oh. which is, <laughs> of course, this is the Woman of Inspiration podcast. So, Debbie, what is your definition of a woman of inspiration? Um, somebody who exudes sort of this calmness yet gracefulness and you know confidence around them like to me a woman inspiration who is calm under pressure but still in control right to me that's like the ideal like that's the persona I aspire to be one day because I get excited easily but I love seeing those women that like you know things are like blowing up around them and they're just like oh, I'm good and this is how we're gonna do it and this is how we're gonna approach it and then it's all gonna be fine like that to me is like wow that's a woman of inspiration that reminds me of the female leadership coming out of COVID. Yeah. Right? We just, we were it's running the race on. for so long. We're like, give it on, bring it on, bring it on. Yeah. Not pretty, but we did it and we did it with grace. Exactly. So thank you again, Debbie, um, for a wonderful interview. How can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to connect up with you? Um, can they reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me, Debbie Rajani. I don't know if the Villegas is on there, but you'll find me under Debbie Rajani. There's very few of us out there. And FDI Consulting, great big shout out to FDI Consulting and the WIN program, the women's initiative that they have going on. I know I had the pleasure of moderating your International Women's Day panel last year, which was a real treat um, that where you had women's voices represented across the globe um, in some very esteemed positions. So um, you guys are doing great work and um, looking forward to continuing the journey with you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much, Monica. It's been a pleasure. I mean, I've learned a lot myself, so it's always about learning and helping each other out. Well, thank you very much. And listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, I really, really suggest that you share it with actually everybody in your network, um, because you never know that there is one woman that needs to hear um, what another woman is sharing. So um, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next episode. Thanks, Debbie.